Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Juan Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, Deep Lash. Each episode, I bring on someone different from business, entrepreneurship, who's doing some game-changing work. And as part of my 29 Days of Magic series, I am highlighting awesome Black women every single day for the month of February. And so I'm so excited to have Dominique Monet, who's an ACD at GSD&M, the advertising agency. I'll talk about her rise, how she got there, and living in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Dominique. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sure. I know that you, this is your very first podcast, so I promise I'll be gentle. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. All good in the neighborhood, no worries at all. So the first question, to kind of ease you into this, is an easy one. Dominique, what was your first job? My first job was at Odyssey Fun World. <laughs> so it was kind of <laughs> okay. a glorified Chuck E. Cheese, like, but you know, for adult people too. And I served pizzas and hosted parties and barely did my job because I was too busy trying to party with the folks instead of <laughs> serving these pizzas. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah, so that was my first uh, job. And I know you mentioned in your intro that I'm an ACD, just for those listening who may not know what that stands for, I'm an associate creative director, so. Because you're a shot caller, which I appreciate. <laughs> you, you, you make it all come to life. Um, well, that's it, it. So, that, that's, so that's awesome. So okay, so we go from Odyssey Fun World to becoming an ACD. What was that journey like? I was, Quite interesting, actually. I went to Howard University. Um, shout out to HU. And, <laughs> and I wanted to uh, be a creative in advertising. Um, I wanted to write jingles specifically. I didn't know that's not a thing. Like you actually need to come up with the whole idea for the campaign and write the whole commercial. Um, and jingles can be a part of that, but it's not its own career. So I was like, cool, I'll do the whole thing. And I think Howard University is really great for prepping you for um, kind of the business side of things, but I needed a little more help for the creative side of things. Uh, so I left there and went to Miami Ad School, which is a portfolio wow. school. Yeah, that just focuses all on the creative side of advertising. And then I started out, so my first career in the business was at Burrell Communications in Chicago. Um, not sure if you're familiar with it or what the audience is, but it's black owned. Um, they do all the McDonald's commercials, uh, where you've been <laughs> seeing black people with natural hair before it was popular. Uh, and, oh. uh, yeah, so I worked there for a few years, which was great. I was doing black advertising and, um, wanted to spread my wings a little bit. I think advertising is similar to where you can get typecasted and people can say, oh, you only know how to do Black advertising. Right. It's like, well, that's not true. Um, as you know, Black people, we consume, we have to consume white culture and, you know, dominant culture as a means of survival. So we know our culture and we know theirs too, but they don't always know that. <laughs> so I moved to Austin, Texas 
uh, and took a job at a multicultural agency called Sanders Wingo, which is also black owned. Um, but it was me not just doing black advertising, but also, you know, the opportunity to touch Hispanic advertising, journal market advertising. And then from there, I left and went to RGA, which is a global ad agency uh, where I worked primarily on Crocs. So I helped make that cool again, which was really exciting. And how do you, um, how do you make Crocs cool again? Because I have an issue with Crocs. <laughs> What's your issue with Crocs? <laughs> they, they are plastic shoes. Like, have you ever worn a pair? I refuse. I have like it's a running joke of me and my friends that like why I have such a dis I have a hatred of Crocs. I'm like they're plastic shoes. They're not real shoes. See, the only reason you're saying that is because you've never actually put on a pair. If you try on a pair they're so comfortable like the, the promise is real it's very comfortable and i choose comfort over caring what people think about my plastic shoes <laughs> see but they're plastic shoes i'm just saying okay fine <laughs> yeah you know really soft and they actually spend a lot of time with the technology of the shoes and the different designs and they have top designers working on it so i was really impressed when i went to the headquarters and I was like, okay, I believe what I'm selling now. This is real. Um, so we we helped make that cool again. So I love a good comeback brand story. I love an underdog. Um, awesome. And then, yeah. And then I left RGA and came over and worked where I'm at now, which is GSDNM. So it's a general market agency. Um, it's the place where uh, the Popeye's chicken tweet that happened at our agency. I wasn't on that project, but another black girl was. Shout out to Angela Brown. Um, Love Angela. Yes! Who <laughs> was one of the strategists on there. So um, I'm at GSDNM now, where I currently work on uh, Ross, uh, Yes for Less, Dress for Less, and Pizza Hut. Oh, wait, you're on Pizza Hut? Okay, yeah. so um, I love Pizza Hut in like the most ridiculous way because um way back in the 90s um they had this campaign where it's a reading campaign where basically oh, yeah. if you read these books you got to have a pizza party um, yeah book it <laughs> exactly um so uh i was the queen of bucket in my elementary school <laughs> i mean how many personal pan pizzas did you get though um I want to say like 20 because, <laughs> because like basically our school would like set it up and then like and we had a contest like x number of books you had to read and I would just like wipe the floor with my entire class of and course so, you did. <laughs> and there was and there was a pizza hut five minutes from my house so I was just like mosey on over and be like here you go <laughs> and my mom like, my mom was so annoyed because she was just like she didn't want me eating junk food <laughs> so. but it's free dinner and you earned it right that's what i said i said i read all the books yeah um, and they have the salad bar so you could be real fancy as a kid get your little caesar salad some bacon bits back when i used to eat pork uh it was fancy for a kid but it was funny but you know but it, it is sort of one of those really awesome nostalgia brands that like i even to this day, like if I'm walking, if I'm hungry and I walk by a pizza hut, then I literally will go in the order of personal pepperoni pizza. Like I, <laughs> I, and I love pizza. It's my favorite, obviously it's my favorite food and I love pepperoni pizza, but like, and I've had it, like I live in New York, so I have the best pizza available to me at all times. Oh yeah. Uh, 
but, but there is something, something about, about that, it. About that New York pizza, though, I'm from Chicago, so we do pizza mm. a little differently. <laughs> you you eat pizza like it's a it's a meat it's like it's a, a thing with a knife and a fork. It's just an abomination. I'm just saying. I just <laughs> where you are though. So if you're downtown, you know, in the touristy areas, yeah, you're gonna have that uh, deep dish. But if you're where the black folks live, or on the south side, or on the west side, you're gonna have thin crust pizza. It's gonna have just the right amount of grease. Right amount of tomato sauce. It's a whole different vibe. So I'm really here for the, the more street pizza spots in Chicago. Ah, okay. All right. Well, because I feel like I've only, I, I feel like I, I've been to Chicago a gazillion times, but I feel like I've, I've really only kind of been there. I've only been there going there for work. And so I'm always in the kind of the touristy next one. So I like, everyone's like, well, let's go have a deep dish pizza. And I'm like, I cannot stand this foolishness. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like it either, to be honest, a uh, deep dish per se. But Chicago has some, some good pizza. I'm not sold on New York's pizza from the few slices that I've tried, but mm. open minds to change at some point when um, coronavirus isn't, you know, taking over the city. Well, Whenever you whenever you can travel and can come to New York, I will take you to, I don't know, three blocks from my house to Joe's Pizza. It is the best pizza. Like, okay. Like the, the slices are not super thin crust, but they're close. Has the okay. perfect amount of grease and it's the larger slice. So the pepperoni is just like glistening on top. It's- Do fantastic. you fold it? Are you one of those folders? Isn't that- Of amazing? course, you have to. <laughs> Oh my but, gosh. Like you open, but you have an open face, the abomination. Oh my <laughs> Dominique, I am appalled. <laughs> <laughs> Look, to each his own, to each his own, but I'm team pizza. I'm I'm a, eating a little healthier these days, so making pizzas at home and even doing some vegan options, some dairy-free options. So yeah, pizza's yeah. No, I mean, I actually, I, I bought an air fryer, obviously, in the early days of the pandemic, and it was my best, it was my, by far my best pandemic purchase, and so I figured out how to make, like, little flatbread pizzas in the air fryer, it takes exactly seven minutes, and I, and you can make anything, I can make anything I want, so I've done my four cheese pizzas, I've done, obviously, pepperoni, um, but yeah, it comes in very handy. But what's that about? Like, how did the air fryer just become, like, what is it about the pandemic that made the air fryer a thing? I've had an air fryer for a while, but I never expected it to be well, this trendy. Well, you know what I think it was? Because people ran out of things to cook. Mm. And, and also, I think a lot of people don't know how to cook. Mm -hmm. And so it served two audiences, the people who were like, if I use this frying pan one more time, I'm gonna smack somebody upside the head. And <laughs> I don't know how to defrost chicken wings. And so, okay, I can put them in the air fryer. So you had those two camps. Um, mm. I was in the, if I cook one more thing camp, I'm, I'm gonna like lose my mind. Yeah. Uh, and then like, also I went down a Pinterest rabbit hole cause there's so many recipes that you can make <laughs> on Pinterest. And I was like, oh wait, I can do beignets. So I make beignets. I'm definitely you know getting tired of cooking though it was uh something creative for me to do when I'm not writing so coming up with ideas writing scripts things like that it takes a certain part of your brain but to be able to make things with your hands I can appreciate like how can exactly. I be 
Yeah, without doing what I do at work all day. So cooking was my outlet and I loved getting all the new recipes, blase, blase. But now I'm like, okay, you know. Over this, so over I this. am pretty over so it. <laughs> but here we are. It tastes amazing, but I'm just, I need a new oh, cream. So I'm working on that right now. Oh, I so understand. So yeah. how did you get to D, uh, GDSM? Like what was, what was the decision to like, hey, like I want to try this agency? Uh, a little bit of, I was a senior copywriter at RGA, so looking to go more into leadership. Mm -hmm. So going to GSENM was an opportunity for me to become an associate creative director, which is in line with my career trajectory. Um, but also just looking for a more inclusive place. While RGA is global, uh, the Austin office is small. And yeah, I was the only, I was the first black person they'd ever hired. I didn't know that. Um, wow. They ask, like, have y'all ever been or hired a black person? <laughs> it was like a year later. The answer was no. And I'm one of those weird uh, situations where I, I would say most of my life, I've been in black, predominantly black situations. So mm -hmm. that was the first time I'd ever been in an all white situation. And that was their first time ever having a black employee, but we had never discussed that prior to me taking the job. And then it became very obvious. <laughs> so like, oh. what'd you okay. say? You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. In Miami ad school, I went there after Howard, which is the HBCU, but Miami ad school was global. So it might not have been a lot of black people, but it was people from all over the world. So I didn't feel like such an outcast. Okay. Um, so yeah, at GSDNM, they had a creative director over there named Shantika Sigers. She actually recruited me from Burrell to Sanders Wingo when I first moved to Austin. Sent me an email talking about, uh, what'd she say? It's cold in Chicago. It's warm here. Don't you want to leave Burrell and come work for me? I would, but I can't work for me. That's impossible. And I'm like, what? So she used to work at Burrell. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who is she? She sounds cool. And my now husband, then boyfriend, we had uh, decided we wanted to move to Austin two weeks before I got that email. So anyway, wow. fast. it all comes together. All comes together. You put it in the universe. Two weeks later, you get that email from Shantika Sigers. So um, she had moved over to GSDNM. And I was like, you know what? I would really love to have work somewhere, A, where other Black people are. <laughs> uh, they had hired one more Black person, a Black guy at RJ when I was there. I'm like, two, this is really tough. And um, just to be under her leadership again, because she's so phenomenal. She's at Facebook now. Um, so I got to work with her. And then they have they had Kyria Francis, who was heading up their diversity, equity, and inclusion department. Uh, it was their first time getting one. So I'm like, yeah, I want to be somewhere where that sort of thing is actually in the building, not in some other office. Uh, so just safety. Like you, you're at a point where you're, I'm established. I'm doing great work. But you know what's really important? My safety, because if I don't feel safe emotionally, um, you know, being Black in this space, then I can't create the type of work that I really want to create. So that's that's what led me to GSDNM. Awesome. And, you know, I think it's it's so, it's rare to find lots of Black female creative directors, assistant creative directors and creative directors. So, like, how's that been for you being in leadership? Man, when you say rare, that's not even... Like that doesn't even describe how rare it really is. They actually started the 3% conference because there was only 3% of the creative directors in advertising 
only 3% were women. And so this was, I'm, I'm going to get the exact year wrong, but it's probably been around for about 10 years. So of that 3%, none of that percentage is Black women. Mm-hmm. And I think it's up to, I can't quote you, but maybe around 20% now, you, you'd have to research it. So it's doing better as far as the percentage of women, but Black women still are not even a percentage of creative directors in this business. We're so rare and it's so hard to you get discouraged, you know, you feel down when you look up and you see no one who's like you. So, um, you know, you take a position and you have a title and you're nervous when you start out. Imposter syndrome is real. Shout out to imposter syndrome. <laughs> um, we all kind of deal with it. But then you feel it's just like everything else. It's just like every other position. You do great because you're talented, you know, so it's no big deal, really. <laughs> a few months into the title, you're adjusted to it. So I've enjoyed uh, being in leadership. It's cool because you're you're at this midpoint where you're high enough to supervise a few people and call some shots, but you're not so high that you get caught up in the politics of things and you're not even doing the fun part, which is making the work. So it's a cool space to be for right now. Awesome. And, you know, again, this is part of the reason I'm doing this because I want folks to see that you all exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, same with the 3% conference, you know, you know, similarly, I got, you know, I've spoken at it and yeah, like we need to be there. Like yes. we're the ones, we're creating the culture. Like, you know, we were just, before we came on the, the, the recording today, we were talking about the rise of Clubhouse. It's like, who is making the culture that makes that interesting? Us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so the more that we can be shown and seen and, and celebrated, the better off everyone is you know and when you build things they will come (laughs) yes and I think it's I think we tend to wait until people have air quotes made it whatever that means to shine a light on them but it's so few of us who become executives and shout out to you for being a CEO like I I'm loving it (laughs) I'm loving just sharing this energy with you today um, and so we need to see your face and we also need to see the face of people who are not CEOs yet. Cause if you're just waiting for all the executives, that's how you end up with nobody at the conference, you know, representing, representing us or just the same few people. So, um, things like that, like going back to Miami ad school speaking, I didn't see a speaker at that school who looked like me. There were no black women who spoke. And so I'm like, I don't care if I'm not you know, a chief creative officer, the students need to see me. And so, you know, get me on that plane. And they did. So, um, you know, just loving where I'm at, seeing a lot more women in my position at this point. When I looked up, I didn't see that before. And now I'm seeing a lot of women who are associate creative directors. So I'm excited for us to continue rising and starting our own agencies and even doing our own thing. So, yeah, you know, I think it's just, it's part of the reason I'm doing this series is that like I don't want folks to wait until their CEOs and CMOs to be seen and uh it was a mistake I made earlier in my career where I was like always behind the scenes and it wasn't until I owned my own agency that I was like okay now I want to kind of push to the forefront it's you know we have to because like there isn't this middle where you are right now where there's not a lot of you whereby like you're going to be the next ECDs but if we don't show up how awesome are ACDs and you know you know group account group account directors before they become VP and SVPs then the folks won't know that's a that's a packability they can be in they will only see the oh you have to get to the super high level before you can talk 
So exactly. Um, and you have to crawl before you can walk. You totally have to do that. So you know, it's funny. Like you know, as someone who obviously is a writer, like what are some of your kind of best tips that you'd like to give young folks out there who are trying trying to crack into this? So obviously, you went to Miami Ad School, but like what you all? I'm guessing you always knew you'd be a writer in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, my advice, and Shonda Rhimes said it so well, and that has always been my philosophy even before I, I saw her say it, but it was so succinct the way she said it. And she just said, uh, writer's right. <laughs> like, people talk about what they want to be and you just got to do the thing that it is that you want to do. You don't need a title. You don't need a job. You don't need permission to do the thing that you want to do. Um, so for me, I, I have um, so many diaries filled front to back from when I was a kid. And my thought was when I have my own kids, I wanted to remember what it was like being their age. Uh, so I recorded so many things and I just actually went and picked up those diaries and moved them into my new house. And I read a page, I was like, oh my gosh, I was saying that. <laughs> like, oh, never, wait, never mind. <laughs> yeah, Cause your diary, you're so candid. You say right. things that you might not even say out loud. So I just said, ooh, I'm not really ready to uh, read the old version of myself, but I'm glad I have it here <laughs> in it's, case I, I It's on the shelf, just in <laughs> case for when I'm ready. That's just not right case. now. Exactly. Um, and so in the diary, that's just the everyday thing that you can do. You're, you're writing daily or when you feel moved, when you have a thought. Um, even though I went to portfolio school, it's expensive. And so I feel like a way to hack into the business is to be really good on social media, to write on Twitter or write on Instagram or wherever to prove that there's an audience of people who care about what you have to say. And you have, you know, the people running shops, they didn't grow up in the social media era. So that's one thing millennials, uh, Gen Z can really own. And, you know, you haven't even set up the schools for this sort of thinking because the technology is so new. So my tip would be to write whatever it is that's on your heart that you want to write. Um, and when you feel comfortable, share those things uh, to prove that you're interesting. If you're a photographer, you should be taking photos. The iPhone is so advanced. You don't even need, you know, a fancy camera anymore. You can just use your phone. If you're a film director, make films, even if it's on a budget. So just do the thing that you, you love. And then the attention will come to you. The opportunities will come to you um, as long as you're doing that and, and showing people what you can do. That's such great advice. Cause I think, and you're right. It's just do the thing. Do the thing. <laughs> just do it. Like don't worry about anything else. Do the thing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm sure along the way it has been a windy and twisty road for you. What's, what, what's a challenge you had along the way in your career where you're like, oh my God, this is insane. I'm never going to get it through. And then you did. <laughs> um, well, it's been so many. Uh, I would say whew, getting into school was challenging because portfolio school costs the same amount as undergrad. and You don't necessarily get a degree. 
So coming from a black family saying you want to do something creative, you want to spend how much money on what? I didn't have the money. That means I needed support. They didn't have support to give me. They already helped take out loans to get me into undergrad. So there is a big financial burden there. And I drove to Miami. I didn't even have a financial plan. It was like, just go. Just do it. We got enough money for the first quarter. It's eight quarters, but the plan was we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And the first day I moved there, my car was stolen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we, I went to the police and I just moved here. My car was stolen and they accused me of stealing my own car for insurance what? purposes. And I'm like, what? I never even thought about that. I mean, clever if you're a criminal. Clever, but I-, I mean, but wow. Right. Um, and they're like, welcome to Miami. So that was hard. Thing. Yeah. Then they found it the next day and it was bullet holes in it. So apparently somebody stole it just to do like some sort of drive by and then dump the car. Yeah. <laughs> so Okay. Wow. Just starting school. Just starting. Like I'm here. I'm in Miami. And my dad's like, she needs to come home. And my mom's I was like, say, like, how fast were your parents like, come home? <laughs> immediately. And my mother is like, no, she needs this opportunity. We can make her come home. My mentor put me in touch with a guy, uh, Rob Clifton. He's an executive creative director right now. But at the time, it was just a guy my mentor knew. And I drove to Orlando crying to my aunt's house in my car with bullet holes in it. And um, he just talked me into staying in school. So then I got a job in school working at a marketing agency uh, called Medium Four, and the, and they they kept me on staff way longer than they needed to. I mean, it literally was no work for me to do, but I just I needed a job. And I wanted to be in the business. It was black owned, two black guys. Um, they really looked out for me. But the point is, staying in school was hard. I had to quit that job. No, actually, I got laid off because they eliminated the position. But they really did. Like, they had given me as much money as they could, but it was a small business. It wasn't enough work for me to do. Um, So I couldn't get another job because all the kids in school were doing so much better than me because they had the time to do their assignments, but I was working. So um, I had to opt to not get another job and just stick it out with very little money so I can get the internship that I needed to be successful. And I was able to do that and everybody doesn't have that option. So um, I just have a lot of empathy for people who want to do what we do and they don't have the financial means to do it. My aunt gave me her life savings. That's how I end up paying for the first couple quarters. She said, pay me back when you make it. Everybody doesn't you know, get that. So I understand that I'm very lucky in that sense. And then my brother ended up helping me take out a loan later. So financially, just do it. Like, don't worry about the finances is my point. Just social media wasn't where it is now back then. So someone could still hire you whether you went to school or not. So don't let finances deter you. Just write, just art direct, just do whatever it is that you do anyway and have an online presence. So finances, big challenge. The second challenge is being Black and wanting to do work that wasn't just Black. So part of me moving to Austin was, once I worked at Burrell, I felt like people, I was saying earlier, they're like, you just do black work. So it's like, I couldn't get a job anywhere else in Chicago. And I didn't understand that because I didn't know any other black copywriters. Like you, people talk about diversity. You think anybody would love to have me, but that wasn't the case. So I was like, okay, let me go to a smaller pond. 
Right. And if I can be a big fish in a smaller pond, then I can come back to the big pond. Um, and that worked. I mean, I got into RGA, which is one of the best ad agencies in the world. I got into their Austin office. Then I started doing projects with their New York office. And I started winning um, international awards. My work did. I started getting recognized globally uh, through Cannes. So the strategy worked. But now I like Austin so much. I'm like, I'm staying. This is cool. I'm already getting the opportunities I want. Um, so that was a challenge. Uh, and then I would say being Black in the business has been very challenging. Very things, not very things, things like um, being on set and there's no one to do Black women's hair. And you tell them before you get to set, we need a stylist who can do Black girls' hair. And you get on set and they can't. And you don't want to be that person stopping the shoot because of hair. But you need to stop the shoot because once the internet sees that, you know, oh, they're going to no, uh -uh. <laughs> it will be bad <laughs> exactly and so you're told oh you're pulling the race card and you're like what race car her hair just looks a mess and to a standpoint these people really can't see that it looks a mess because they're not trained to look at black women's hair but because you're so young in the business or because you're a woman or because you're black or all of the above they also don't take what you're saying seriously um, and they lie to you. You ask stylists, can you do black hair? They say, yeah, 90% of the time they lie. So I have to ask very specific questions. You know, can you do a, a fade? Can you, do a, <laughs> can you do a twist out? Can you do a twist out? What about a pineapple? You got to use buzzwords. Like, mm, I'm detecting some lies. So I would say just uh, even being in rooms and seeing offensive ideas and going, this is not okay on so many levels. And you're, oh, here she is complaining again. Where it's like, I'm just trying to stop you from being a Pepsi ad. <laughs> like, I'm exactly. trying to stop. This is, I'm just trying to help you out here because literally, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, or being told, you know, um, oh, you're very challenging because you have a question on the first day. It's like, it's the first day. Who doesn't have a question? Like, how does that equate to challenging? So. All of those stereotypes you hear about Black women, I've, I've dealt with, I've come up against. And a lot of times I've come up against it alone. So um, that's definitely been challenging. I think it's getting better because there's so much conversation happening just in general in the world about Black people and how we're treated and how we're showing up in the media. And so the more people complain on Twitter and like the, the more people make valid points outside of my job, the more I can bring it into my workspace, wherever I work and say, look, this is proof. It's not just me. This is how a lot of black people feel. They call it a me search. Like I gotta make sure I'm not coming in with me search for real research saying, this is how the people feel uh, to back up my point of view. And the more commonplace these points of view are, the, the, the less hard it'll have to be for me to fight to get my point of view across. Awesome. And I mean, I could just, just stand and applaud everything you just said because like, I, I couldn't say it any better. Like, thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously, we still work in a pretty stressful business. We're a year into quarantining. I was supposed to go, I was supposed to be in Austin. I literally was about to book my ticket to come for South by Southwest. Hmm. Canceled South by Southwest uh, last year. Uh, I knew it. Well, boy, this is going to be nuts. Hmm. Um, so what have you been doing for your self-care to navigate all the madness that comes with being stuck inside? 
Oh, wow. Um, you know what? I've been doing a lot of therapy. A lot of therapy, <laughs> like weekly. And Austin doesn't have a huge Black population. So it's, first of all, it's hard to find a Black therapist in general right. um, within your network your insurance network. And so I was just like, look, I just need a black therapist. And so it's not even in my network. I pay out of pocket, but it's just something I need. And I'm just grateful that I have the funds to pay out of pocket and we do a sliding scale. So if you, you know, if anybody's out there looking for a therapist and they're not in your network, see if you just find one and work out a, a sliding scale with them, if that's an option um, to pay what you can pay. So a lot of therapy. Um, I love to dance. So I didn't realize how many coping mechanisms I had in my lifestyle because it was just so naturally integrated. So I was always going to, I went to yoga in color. So it was all people of color doing yoga, we would come every two weeks and just sharing that energy. I didn't even know like race mattered when you did, when you did yoga. Who <laughs> oh, no. knew? Who knew? Who knew? But it's something about, cause in yoga and color, we would uh, talk at the end of it too, in our sharing circle and just share experiences and breathe in and out, um, you know, to let you know, I felt you. We, we didn't go into detail about the experiences, but like we're breathing with you, we feel you. So grow your love space. Um, it's awesome. If you follow Melanie Host Collins, she's helped me keep my sanity before and during COVID she does the yoga in color. So I couldn't go in person anymore and doing it online isn't the same as far as energy. And I love to dance and I dance it out. Like I leave it all on the dance floor. And so those classes shut down, but um, Melody Dance Fit did start a online dance class. So I do that and I dance it out in my house. My husband just called me the other day. He's like, uh-uh, don't stop. Cause I walked in and she's yelling on me, that's work. Twerk and I'm like twerk. Go, go ahead and twerk. Go ahead. I know. He's like, no, don't stop because of me. So then he joins in and does like the moves that you know were he felt were appropriate for him. And so uh getting back to dancing, even if it is in my own house, has really helped. Doing therapy has really helped. And I also meditate every morning. So I use the I just got the Calm app. I've only been on it for two weeks, but I'm into it. And I use the Insight Timer that's just here on iPhone. So that helps ground me. Also journaling really helps me. And I was, I was shy about journaling because to write down what you're going through in a way feels like you're reliving it. It already happened today. Now I got to write it. It was cool when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, especially in 2020, like it's a lot to get off my chest and then I write at work. So I'm like, I don't want to write when I'm not working. But um, I just started writing. It didn't even have to be a whole journal entry, even if it was just a thought or just a few lines. Or sometimes I'll pick up the journal to write about something. And I, I moved to write about something totally different. Um, so all of those things have been very helpful. And I've had a lot of solace, like a lot of just time to be to myself, to be in my own head. And um, talking to my therapist and confronting a lot of things from childhood, from throughout my life that I had never confronted, that 2020 with all the racial uprisings and everything happening. I, I had some surgeries last year, so I had some time off work where, you know, on top of 2020, I'm going through what I'm going through medically in a health pandemic. 
which is the worst time. And no one can be in a hospital with you because it's COVID. Um, so just confronting my past and confronting my present and not in a judgmental way, but just observing, just observing what I've been through, crying for myself, crying for my old self. And um, I think it's sometimes easier to be compassionate to yourself when you almost see yourself in third person and just letting it out and hugging her or hugging myself and um, being brave enough to do that and then move forward because it's easier to move forward um, when you confront everything that's going on, so. That's so awesome and so lovely. And thank you for sharing that because I think folks need to hear that, that it's okay to do it. And, and also, you know, you have to find your own way, whatever works for you. So whether it's twerking in your room. <laughs> so yeah. wait, does, that, does that mean you did a buzzer challenge? I did not. I, I don't think from the internet. And um, I'm a really good dancer, but it's just, it's, it's my why. And you and I, we kind of talked about this offline a little these things on social media or wherever, like, why are you, you doing it? You know, and I'm not one to seek a lot of attention. I love watching other people's challenges, but I love dancing like nobody's watching because no one is actually, no watching. One's actually watching. Just for me, you know, it's not for anybody else. And I'm a Delta, I was a step master, national champion. Like I got a lot of rhythm um, out here in the East. You have, you have the beat. It is not finding you. Yes, but is I I don't know. I enjoy doing it here, or maybe I would love to join some sort of like a you know adult dance troupe. Like, do they even have those? I want to be in a dance troupe, but there's a real audience with real energy and choreography. But until then, I'm I did not do the busted challenge. I enjoyed watching it <laughs> in my room. <laughs> I love Tracy Ellis Ross's one where she's like, mm, yeah, not today, Satan. <laughs> Did you do the challenge? Oh, hell no. <laughs> uh, are you kidding me? Um, first of all, um, as a Jamaican, yes, I can whine and wave, but um, yeah, I have, I, my, that is not on Laura's brand at all. <laughs> not, at this, not at this stage. Maybe when I was like 25, I probably would have done that, but no. <laughs> I feel you on that part of me is like am I too old to be on somebody's TikTok and busting it but then I'm like why do you care like it should matter if that's what you want to do now I happen to not want to do it but I'm like now Dominique should you want to do what you want to do so exactly what do whatever you feel me no <laughs> and I'm just all about feeling good like I just want to do you what feels Yes, last year was hard. It was I hard. I experienced depression for the first time, I think. Um, and people throw that word around. Oh, you're depressed. But no, when you're really in it and you're yeah. like, yeah, and you don't know how to get out. Like, it, I'm really proud of myself for climbing out the way I climbed out of that um, and coming back stronger. And Taraji P. Henson talks about that. The strong black woman thing and yeah yeah it's it's always bothered me <laughs> so and uh, degree it bothers me it's like no that, I, I need time for me i cannot always be the strong one because it's just 
the weight is is just too heavy. It's too heavy. But to even admit that this is really heavy, I am not okay to admit it to yourself, to admit it to the people around you. And they act like they don't hear you when you say it. I'm like, I don't care if I'm always okay. I'm not okay today. Like, I need you to respect that and just move through that. Just admitting it and not feeling bad about it because there is strength and vulnerability. And I'm really proud of the agency I'm at. I mean, no agency is perfect, but I told them, I'm like, I'm tired. I done been through a lot. I'm not joining any of these diversity initiatives. And you know what? Everybody pitched in. Like you feel like you're already bogged down from being black, right? Now, why do we have to solve the racism problem? We didn't create it, but they are working their butts off um, all sorts of races and they're not leaving it to us to just figure it out. And we're still figuring it out, but that was the first time I wasn't the voice in the room. I wasn't fighting the fight. I wasn't writing the article. I was just like, pardon me while I see this one out. Yes. (laughs) Right. Right. So, um, just and giving other people a chance to step up and use their voice and find their inner strength. So all of those things I mentioned, the meditation, the journaling, the therapy, and falling back. Like sometimes it's okay to fall back and not fight that fight today. You know, I've protested, I've been arrested, I've done all of that, you know, back when Trayvon happened. I didn't need to be on the street this time. I needed somebody else to fight. I can still be a part of it in a different way. Exactly. You you have to choose you and what's best for you at that particular moment. Exactly. And, and not feel guilty about about in any way, shape, or form because we have to put ourselves first. Otherwise, nothing will ever get done. Nothing. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House and their workspaces to help creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful, and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in LA, five in the UK, and they give you that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location, feel safe. I've you know, been able to meet some really awesome people, which you haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re- record here and help build community. So if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SohoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. So last question for you, my darling. Um, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? Mm, a give or ask of the audience. There's this word that's being thrown around. Uh, it's been used kind of loosely, but I really like it. And I'd like for us to be more intentional about it sometimes. And it's the word radical. So a uh, radical change, you know, radical love, like <laughs> just kind of whatever you're doing, like doing it to the max um, when you have the energy, because we don't all have the energy right now, um, but just dare to do that thing you've been thinking about doing and you haven't quite done um, and just be really radical and unapologetic about what that is or what that point of view is that you're bringing to the world. And that's to the audience and 
that's to myself too. It's so many things that I wanted to say or wanted to write about. And I had an energy too, <laughs> and that's okay too. But now that my energy is being built back up, um, I'm dreaming bigger. I'm dreaming more radically. And that doesn't even mean it has to be like what other people's dreams are. Like sometimes I'm content. Like people, are, it's the hustle culture, right? You got to hustle. You got to get the mm -hmm. next thing. You got to do it. I'm not saying do the most. That's not what I'm saying. Because you could be cool right where you are. But that one thing that you want to do for you, it doesn't have to be career. It's something you're listening. It's something you've been wanting to do. Or it's a point of view that you wanted to share. Um, and I say, just go for it, do the thing and do it unapologetically and do it radically. Um, and that's, that's what makes you, you, and you'll start attracting the people who think like you and, uh, the universal line to make more of that thing happen. I think that's an awesome way to end the show. I mean, that's, yeah, be radical about it. Like go for it. Um, yeah. in you, however, however you find that um yeah. th that works for you so that's a beautiful way to end this show so thank you so much Dominique you oh you're just a delight <laughs> thank you oh, allow me on my first podcast it's such an honor to share it with you oh my pleasure um and we'll put everything to show notes for folks to find you and follow you on the social medias um and maybe see you do a busted challenge just kidding <laughs> <laughs> who knows it might change and i might be radically different a month from now you're like you know what okay i got this <laughs> i am gonna bust it <laughs> awesome um but as i said just um you know this is your this is the, to hear the light in your voice is just why i'm doing this because i think as more of us that we can share this with the so much better that we can all be so thank you so very much for uh joining me on the podcast today thank you and if you all are interested in seeing my work you can check out dominiquecreates.com um so there's a bunch of fun stuff there that i've had an amazing time making dominiquecreates.com and you can follow me on twitter at domnificence um, <laughs> Of course. Of course. Of course, a writer indeed. Yeah. <laughs> at Domnificent, Dominique Monet. So that's at D O M N I F I C E N C E. Um, I'm trying to get better at, I'm behind the camera for a reason. I love writing, I love telling stories through characters and things like that. Um, but I, I'm trying to get better at speaking a little more. So follow me on Twitter. Maybe we'll get some tweets out this year. <laughs> And um, <laughs> if nothing else, I'd love to connect with you. Shoot me a DM. Um, just looking to create with other bright, talented, creative um, minds and just genuine people. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes so folks can find you. Awesome. And that is our show.